grace and goodness of God. It just never ends, does it? Sometimes you kind of have to dig through because of so many things happening, but it's, it's always there. Let's pray before we look into God's word. And I just want to thank the music team for coming up and, and leading us in worship and uh, preparing our hearts to look into God's word and to just look to God for everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love to us. We thank you for your grace, your kindness, uh, just the way that you really care for us and have cared for all people all through history. And Lord, we pray that we could understand you better through looking into your word this morning and that we would get a greater picture of you and understand you more and be blessed by that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, we've been looking into the Old Testament prophetic book of Hosea these last weeks. Hosea prophesied in the northern kingdom of Israel during the 700s B.C. And things weren't going very well back then in the 700s. It was a real low point in Israel's uh, history. They had a lot of low points, but this was one of them. And Hosea had the distinct privilege of confronting the nation with God's message to them at this time. And it was a pretty stern message, pretty harsh message. Israel was not living faithfully according to the covenant that they had entered into with God. You know, when they came out of Egypt, they'd entered into a covenant with God, and God promised them all these blessings if they would just follow him and obey him and do what he asked them to do. And of course, all through time, they've had a lot of trouble. And at this time, in particularly, they were not living faithfully to the covenant. And God even went to the extreme of having his prophet Hosea marry a prostitute to give Israel a live picture of how they were treating him. Israel was acting toward God the way that a prostitute would act toward a husband when she was being unfaithful. And so they were treating the covenant like it was, I've said before, they were just treating it like it was a piece of trash, like it was worth nothing, like it was not worth their time and effort to stick to it. So we're going to sweep through a section of Hosea this morning and when we go through these different parts of the Bible, like we're doing this morning and other times, you know, it informs our picture of God. And, you know, we all have, like, favorite parts of the Bible, and then there are parts that we rarely get to. But when we see God in all the parts of the Bible, it really gives us a, a clearer picture of who he is. And I believe that's important because... So many people today, they're walking away from God, and I think a lot of it is because they don't have the full picture of God, and he's not meeting their expectations because they really don't know how he operates, what he does, what he's all about when they just stick to favorite verses. So today we're going to be looking at 
this picture of God that I think will help inform us as to what God is all about and what we can expect of him. We're going to go kind of quickly through four chapters of Hosea, beginning with chapter 8. And they will reveal a lot about how God deals with his people according to his covenant. And that's the big thing here. Are they living according to the covenant that they agreed to when he took them on as his people? That's the key. So in Hosea 8, I want you to look with me at the first six verses. This is a call to arms. Put the trumpet to your lips. An eagle is over the house of the Lord because the people have broken my covenant and rebelled against my law. Israel cries out to me, Oh God, we acknowledge you. But Israel has rejected what is good, and so an enemy will pursue him. That's God's judgment coming. They set up kings without my consent. They choose princes without my approval. With their silver and gold, they make idols for themselves to their own destruction. Samaria, that's the capital of the northern kingdom. Throw out your calf idol. My anger burns against them. How long will they be incapable of purity? They are from Israel. This calf, he's saying that this all was made in Israel itself. This calf, a metal worker, has made it. It is not God. It will be broken in pieces, that calf of Samaria. So Israel cries out to God that they are acknowledging him. But they don't, do, they don't go to him when they do the most important things, the most uh, critical things in their community, their, their, their nation. They don't consult him. You know, when you're in a covenant with somebody, like a marriage covenant or any kind of a, a close sort of intimate relationship or, or not even just, just a close relationship, you consult with that person whenever you make a big choice. And Israel is choosing leaders without God's involvement, without going to him. And then they're worshiping idols. And so look at verses 7 through 10. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. So they're putting down the seeds and reaping destruction. The stalk has no head. It will produce no flower. Were it to yield grain, foreigners would swallow it up. So even if they did grow something, foreigners would come in and destroy their crops or take their crops or whatever. So bad stuff is happening here. Israel is swallowed up. Now she is among the nations like something no one wants. She used to be the, the, you know, the apple of God's eye. Now she's just you know, the bottom of the, the barrel. For they have gone up to Assyria like a wild donkey wandering alone. Ephraim has sold herself to lovers. Although they have sold themselves among the nations, I will now gather them together. They will begin to waste away under the oppression of the mighty king. And he's talking about the king of Assyria because that was a powerful kingdom at that time. And they were going around conquering people. So Israel is doing a lot of things, but they're not consulting God. 
and they find themselves empty, unwanted, selling themselves out in desperation. You know, they've become the harlot. Even their foreign lovers don't value them. So now look what God says Israel will get in light of their choices. Verse 11 through 14. Though Ephraim built, you know, Ephraim is another name for Israel because that's a major city there. Though Ephraim built many altars for sin offerings, they have become altars for sinning. So what they were supposed to use as a place of worship, as an item, article of worship, becomes an article of sinfulness. I wrote for them the many things of my law, but they regarded them as something foreign. Though they offer sacrifices as gifts to me, and though they eat the meat, the meat of the offering, the Lord is not pleased with them. They're going through the motions, but it's not pleasing to the Lord. Now he will remember their wickedness and punish their sins. They will return to Egypt. And that's code for they're going to be going into slavery, because that's what happened in Egypt. They're not actually going to, they're going to Assyria eventually. Israel has forgotten their maker and built palaces. Judah has fortified many towns, but I will send fire on their cities that will consume their fortresses. So Israel is doing a lot of things, construction, building things, lots of altars, lots of sacrifices being offered, getting involved in the sacrificial meal, eating the meat, building palaces, fortifying cities. But God says it's all going to go to naught. He's going to burn down their cities. He's going to consume their fortresses. Even though they're doing all these things that look good on the outside, their hearts are not with God. And so it's it's going to end up in nothing. So here's the deal. No matter how impressive are the things that Israel does, if they aren't in acknowledgement of God, in line with God, the God of Israel, if they aren't in accordance with his law, if they aren't in line with the covenant that they have entered into with him, it is fruitless labor. No matter how much effort they put into it, no matter how much, you know, how many empty prayers they give toward it, it'll be fruitless. And it will only lead to destruction. It will lead to judgment and even captivity. Because they're turning to idols. They're looking to the other nations for help when they have the God of all creation who can defeat any army. They have this arrogant disregard for the law of the Lord. That is the recipe for destruction because they have disregarded their covenant with God. They're in a special, special covenant with God and they're just kind of treating it as trash. And you see, this is part of our picture of God. He rewards faithfulness to his covenant. And he is extremely faithful to his part of the covenant. But he demands faithfulness from his followers to his covenant. 
Now we're going to go to chapter 9. Harvest season is approaching. And you know, in a rural community, the harvest season is filled with hope and great expectation and excitement. And you know, it's the one time in some places that they earn money. <laughs> They've been planting and waiting and, and working the ground, and now they're waiting for the crops to come up and be able to uh, get those crops up out of the ground. And I've, I've said this before, but when we were in a rural community, <clears throat> and it would be coming close to harvest time, and everybody's just kind of waiting, they're getting kind of excited, they're not sure who's going to, uh, what time they, they can go out and start you know, harvesting. <clears throat> and uh, so we'll be in church, and all of a sudden you hear a tractor, and everybody just kind of looks around like, whoa. It was hard to keep them in the building, you know, because they just wanted to get out and, and get, get harvesting there. But that's the excitement. So I want you to look with me at chapter 9, the first four verses. Do not rejoice, Israel. Do not be jubilant like the other nations. For you have been unfaithful to your God. You love the wages of a prostitute at the threshing floor. He's saying that they are prostitutes, you know, going to other nations. And in times of threshing, when the, the harvesters were out there and sleeping outside, prostitutes would show up to make money. Threshing floors and wine presses will not feed the people. The new, the new wine will fail them. They will not remain in the Lord's land. Ephraim will return to Egypt and eat unclean food in Assyria. They will not pour out wine offerings to the Lord, nor will their sacrifices please him. Such sacrifices will be to them like the bread of mourners. So instead of rejoicing, it's like they're at a funeral. All who eat them will be unclean. This food will be for themselves. It will not come into the temple of the Lord. They aren't doing the things that they're supposed to do well, they're, they're going through the, the uh, actions, but not, they're not doing them to honor God. And he says, I'm not going to accept your offerings either. So now what about their festivals? These are the times when they would joyfully praise God with the first fruits of the proof of the rest of the harvest yet to come. The first fruits were those that were first come out of the ground, and it was a promise. It was kind of like a promise that there's more to come. But <clears throat> look at 5 through 9. What will you do on the day of your appointed festivals, on the feast days of the Lord, where they're rejoicing over the harvest? Even if they escape from destruction, Egypt will gather them and Memphis will bury them. Their treasures of silver will be taken over by briars you know, in the fields, and thorns will over, overrun their tents. The days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this. Because your sins are so many and your hostility is so great, the prophet is considered a fool. So here's God's spokesman, and they look at him like a fool because their minds just aren't with God. The inspired person is a maniac. A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. 
The prophet, along with my God, is the watchman over Ephraim, yet snares await him on all his paths and hostility in the house of his God. So the prophet is not being treated well. They have sunk deep into corruption as in the days of Gibeah. God will remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. Um, you probably remember Gibeah, <clears throat> I mean, not by the name, but it was the time when there was a man from Israel. Well, Gibeah was a part of Israel where the Benjamites lived. But there was a man from uh, Judah that he had a concubine. And that concubine was like when you gathered more wives beside your, your main wife. And these would help with the work, and they would also, you know, that's just the way that they lived back then. Many wives sometimes. But he had this concubine, and she served in their house, and then she ran away at some point. And then she was gone. She went back to where she lived, which was Bethlehem. <clears throat> and she went back to her family. At one point, the man who bought her, who she was, who was, living with his family, he went to get her, and on his return trip, he stopped in Gibeah. And that's when all the men of the city came, and they said, give us that man that came to visit you. We want to have sex with him. That was the men of the city. And so, <clears throat> you know, the, the guy who led him into his house, who he was staying with, he begged them not to do this awful thing to his, his guest. And they end up giving them the concubine. See, this was in really, really horrible days of Israel when you know, people just did what was right in their own eyes. And they gave him this, this crowd, this concubine, and they raped her all night long and just left her on the porch. And when the man went out the next morning, she was dead. And so this is the story where he takes her and he cuts off, cuts her into 12 pieces and sends a piece of her body to all the tribes of Israel, which says, look what they did. And then Israel gathered and went against the tribe of Benjamin and slaughtered them. That's how bad things were at this time. And so God uses that, that term, you know, the place of Gibeah, as a, you know, as a meaning of these, this, this was bad. One of the lowest, most degrading and disgusting events in the land of Israel. And see, that's what God is comparing this time to. God says, they have sunk into corruption as in the days of Gibeah. And he says he will remember their wickedness and he will punish them for their sins. And now in these next verses, God describes what it was like to see Israel go from his faithful people to becoming shameful deserters, you know, throwing away the covenant. Look at verses 10 through 14. He says, when I found Israel, it was like finding grapes in the desert, you know, you know, your, your eyes light up because you found some, some fruit. 
When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. But when they came to Baal Peor, they consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the thing they loved. Ephraim's glory will fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. That, that mention about Baal Peor <clears throat> was the time that Balak was trying to get Balaam to curse the Israelites as they were marching their way to the promised land. And God would not allow the prophet, this wasn't an Israelite prophet, but one that people went to for help. And, they, and God would not allow him to curse Israel. And every time he went to do it, he ended up blessing Israel. And so he never did what he was asked to do or was going to get paid to do by the king Balak. But what he did was he told Balak how he could trap Israel by sending a bunch of women into their camp. And that's what happened. And then there was, as all the men were gathering with all these women, it was another low point, um, God sent a plague. And thousands of Israelites died and the people that were Getting, getting into the Israelite camp. And so God is saying, at first, when they made a covenant with me, it was so joyful. You know, they were, they were my people. And then they went and, and, you know, got involved with these foreigners and these sexual sins. And even they, they ate sacrificial meals with them how fast they just turned away from God to anything right in front of them. And so he's saying, Ephraim's glory will fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. That, that means things are drying up. And even if they rear children, I will bereave them of every one. Woe to them when I turn away from them. I have seen Ephraim like Tyre, planted in a pleasant place, but Ephraim will bring out their children to the slayer. <clears throat> and what he means by that is that there were times, you know, really, really destitute times in Israel's history and in those nations around when people would even eat their children. Unbelievable. But that's how bad it got. And so he's talking about it's going to be so bad they'll bring their children out to have them slain, to make a meal. Give them, Lord, what will you give them? Give them wombs that miscarry and breasts that are dry. This is Israel. He's talking, he's talking about these times that they went into sexual sin with Moabite women when they joined in sacrificial meals to false gods. And God sent a plague that time I, that I just mentioned, and 24,000 were killed. And so these are just horrible times. Because of all their wickedness in Gilgal, and that was one of the places where they sacrificed to, to false gods, I hated them there. Because of their sinful deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will no longer love them. All their leaders are rebellious. Ephraim is blighted, you know, like a plant that gets ruined. 
Their root is withered, they yield no fruit. Even if they bear children, I will slay their cherished offspring. My God will reject them because they have not obeyed him. They will be wanderers among the nations. <clears throat> so, as we have been saying, this was a really bad time in the his history of Israel. And they had grown very, very complacent in their faith. They had taken God completely for granted. They had just totally disrespected their covenant with God. You know, it was their word with God. It was their promise to God as he promised to them. They were no longer looking to the kingdom of God. They were just totally focused on earthly gain. What would give them the best at this time, regardless of God? And in chapter 10, God talks to Israel about a time of prosperity they experienced. Now, you know, in Israel and back then, prosperity largely meant great crops, you know, a, a big harvest, beautiful harvest. Uh, and when you're dependent upon God for your food coming out of the ground, that uh, it's easy then to connect prosperity with God's grace, right? So God is telling Israel about that. But what did Israel do? Well, they built altars to pagan gods. Even when they prospered and when the crops came up, they built altars to pagan gods with that prosperity. They adorned sacred stones that were used for false worship. He says their hearts were deceitful. And their rejection of God's ways resulted in corrupt rulers who would make false promises. And they entered their nation into foreign alliances with powers, you know, strong powers, which they looked to to help them instead of looking to God. And then it ultimately led to them being controlled by those powers and being conquered by them. So in the midst of their deep, dark sin, listen to what God says to them. He offers them a way out. He says, you know, even as awful as they were, he's still going to give them a chance. Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love, righteousness, love, and break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. But you have planted wickedness. You have reaped evil. You have eaten the fruit of deception because you have depended on your own strength and on your many warriors. The roar of battle will rise against your people so that all your fortresses will be devastated. <clears throat> now, they're not going to listen, are they? God brings punishment upon punishment. 
And at times they mouth the right words, but they never really just stop and truly turn to the Lord. And they keep getting trounced. And things just keep getting worse. And they suffer. And he tells them how to, to get out of it. He says, sow righteousness. You know, it's a planting term. You reap what you sow. Most of the time you reap more than you sow, right? And God tells them if they sow righteousness, if they follow his ways according to the law, according to his covenant, they will reap God's unfailing love. God's always going to give us more than we give him. If we just turn to him, he starts rewarding us. And he's telling them that. And they've seen that in their history. They've seen times when they've come back and God has rewarded them greatly. But he says, instead, you're planting wickedness. And so you have reaped evil. You know, it just seems as though at this time in Israel's history, they just cannot turn away from the world's ways. They just cannot turn from the world and turn to God in whom they've placed all their faith and who, who has built them up as a nation, who started their nation, who birthed them. And even though God's promises are right there before them, right there for their taking, God says, you just can't turn away from wickedness, can you? You just wallow in faithlessness. And then at the end of chapter 10, he says, because your wickedness is so great, when the day dawns, the king of Israel will be completely destroyed. And that came to pass in 722 B.C. as Assyria swept in and conquered that northern kingdom and took them out of the land. Now, <clears throat> I would like to end our time today with chapter 11. Chapter 11 has a major, a major change of tone because it expresses God's heart love for Israel. And I want to read through it, and hopefully we can capture God's heart toward his people. Because, you know, he's been very condemning of them all through these three chapters, and now everything just, the whole mood just changes. Because God's going to tell us his heart. His people who have been so disloyal to him, who have received so much from him, and who've had such a long history with God who has always rescued them when they've acted and, and, and welcomed them back in when they act faithfully. But look at verses, well, chapter 11. This is the heart of God. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim how to walk, or to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. 
To them, I was like the one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God Most High, I will no, by no means exalt them. Their words are empty. How can you give up Ephraim? Or sorry, how can I give, up, give you up Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim, cities that were conquered? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He's talking about a time in the future. <clears throat> they will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt, trembling like sparrows, from Assyria, fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. So there's his promise for the future. You know, in these verses, these last verses, we acknowledge the righteousness of God that he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. I think that two things that we really can't understand the depths of. We can't understand the depths of God's righteousness, how holy he is, and we can't understand the depths of sin and how awful it is. And so when we see things happen and we see God react, I think we got such a small picture of those things that we have to trust in what God does because he is all wise, all knowing, all powerful. He cannot allow sin to go unpunished. And Israel has been horribly unfaithful. It is as if God acts in great love toward them, rescuing them, helping them, supplying their needs, giving them his sacred law that will help them live as a loving community. And you know, if you look at the Ten Commandments, it's really, it's really a way for people to live in community and live in peace with one another, loving people, loving God. If they followed them, and when they did follow them, they would live in a richly peaceful community. But Israel instead follows after their pagan neighbors. I mean, just think of all that they had, the peacefulness, God giving them everything they need, and they just turn to their pagan neighbors, taking part in their sacrifices to their gods. They get involved in their idolatry and their sinful and destructive ways. And so God has to punish them. But in this we see that even though he has to punish them, his heart yearns to take them in his arms and care for them and love them. And he wants to exalt them above the nations. And he says he will. 
In the end, he will exalt them above the nations. But it has to be Israel's decision. And he will work out things so that they will finally decide. He brings them into discipline and captivity to set their hearts right. To shake them out of their thick-headed waywardness. And to bring them ultimately to a place of peacefulness and abundance. And so we see Israel going through all of this even after all that they have known about God. And just the things of the world just just takes their mind off of God and turns them to emptiness. And they think that looks good. And I see today, too, you know, people turning away from God. There are people outside the church who speak against God, who work so hard to try to prove he doesn't exist. And then even some inside the church who say they no longer believe. And I think it's because they're not looking at the whole picture. I think the more we look into God's word, the fullness of his word, the more answers we will have to the doubts that we might might pick up. So it always comes down to walking by faith and trusting in God's goodness. Even though we can't answer every question. People often say, well, I can't believe God would do this. Well, God does do things he has to do because he is completely righteous and holy. And he does the things that he has to do that will bring the world to where it has to come to. And in the end, the message of the Bible is the message of God's love for mankind. And you see people, hear people saying all kinds of things that make him sound horrible and bad and if, he, if they admit he exists. But he sent his only begotten son to become the sacrifice for the sins of the world. That is the baseline. No matter what anybody says, no matter what they look at and say, why did God allow that? We have to, everything is based on he sent his son as the sacrifice for the sins of the world. Where he was beaten, beaten to a pulp. Every ounce of life was was whipped out of him. Everything is built upon that. And so may we carry that message in our lives. And may we help others to see the truth about God and his love. So they also will be able to carry that message. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word because it just tells us so much about you. But, Lord, our minds are so weak and we're so far below you that we really need to bring in a lot of faith with what we know. And we know that you are good and that you are self-sacrificing. You gave your son. That can answer every question. So, Lord, we pray that we may be faithful to that and help others to be that way too. 
and spread your word, the word of your love. And we pray for people that we talk to, Lord, that you would open their mind to the truth. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.